Hello and welcome to the latest C21 podcast from the Real Screen Summit in New Orleans 2020. I'm Clive Whittingham, I'm the news editor at C21 Media. I've been joined this afternoon by four North American producers. We're going to quickly rattle around the table and introduce them all to you. Starting with the one who was late, Ari Mark, founder and co-president of Ample Entertainment. He was with us last year, known for true crime series such as Murder in the Heartland on Investigation Discovery and Facebook's nine months with Courtney Cox. Uh, Ari, how are things? How's, uh, how are things at Ample? Everything's good. We're, uh, you know, we're back in New Orleans, thank God. Changing location is pretty brilliant. And uh, it's feeling pretty energized. Excellent stuff. New face, Kate Harrison-Carmen, president of Cream Productions, also does true crime, Fear Thy Neighbor for Investigation Discovery, and some premium series, Age of Samurai, Battle for Japan for Netflix. You've got a Netflix commission. Uh, Kate, Kate, welcome. How are things at Cream? Um, things are good at Cream. We're sort of continuing with a lot of the same stuff that we've done before, but expanding into a little more as the Netflix show. We're doing a big show for CNN at the moment, which is a commission which is you know, not a new space for us, but a sort of reinvigorated space, so we're excited. And I've got two Patricks, and I'm absolutely going to point the microphone at the wrong one at some point today. We'll start with Patrick Wyland, Senior VP of Production and Development at Intuitive Content. This is Andrew Simone, the uh, celebrity chef's firm, celebrating its fifth anniversary this year. Uh, you have a announcement to make at Real Screen, which we're saying is actually quite rare these days. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about that? We've been working on a new series for the Magnolia Network uh, for the last four months and uh, we're delivering our first rough cuts and it's going pretty well it's a food series I can't say much more than that right now but they've been fantastic to work with it's really fun to kind of be on a network like somebody launching a linear network in 2020 is really daring and it's sort of exciting and we're excited for what they're doing at Chip and Joanna we also moved into we have our first series with MSNBC that premieres February 16th we're doing six hours with Andrew Zimmern as a host. It's called What's Eating America. Biggest issues of the time sort of shot through the lens of food, immigration, voting rights, addiction. Uh, it's a really fun. It's kind of a, it's a big play for MSNBC and a big play for us at Intuitive. Well, congratulations on that. And we'll maybe come on to whether it's mad to be launching a uh, cable net in 2020 uh, later. Um, finally, Patrick Reardon, uh, president of Jupiter Entertainment, more than 500 episodes have snapped in the true crime space for Oxygen. Launched The Hive with Sky Studios last year. What can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, so The Hive, uh, you know, Jupiter, by nature of the volume that, that we produce, three, 350 hours uh, of content a year, we built this incredible production infrastructure. So we created this brand called The Hive to basically offer that to smaller producers, independent showrunners who didn't have their own infrastructure. They can we can basically white label that for them so they maintain their own creative brand. Uh, when it's not a Jupiter project, it's a, you know, whoever project and then we put it into the hive. But it's basically just a way for us to open our doors to smaller producers who, who otherwise probably couldn't afford to, you know, take some of these opportunities. Yeah, yeah. that's fantastic. It's a big, it's a big, a big issue in the uh, in the industry. Like small, how do, how do small producers get it's, going? That's well, that's we were saying. I mean, we we were a large company with you know over 300 employees. I feel like you either have to be at that level or you have to be incredibly lean because the the, the way the market is shifting. If you're in that middle ground, it's very dangerous. It's hard to keep the amount of volume coming through. 
Um, so it's risky. So that's you know part of the reason we did that is to try to help people that were in that situation. We've been wanting to do true crime, and I come from the background at Dateline NBC. I was a senior producer there, and we found like the entry point for doing recrees and things, the price points that the networks were offering, really tough for us. So we were coming in with, you know, working with filmmaker who came to us with. Uh, you know, real footage or real access to a story. So we just had our first true crime run on Reels Channel a couple weeks ago. It was a four-parter called How to Survive a Murder. And that Great was title. because of that sort of, we were independent, but right. to know you guys have that hive, I think that's a really brilliant Wow, I did play. a really bad job setting up Ample. <laughs> <laughs> no, spo- no, no spoilers, but how do you survive a murder? Yeah, Very carefully. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be coming, I think, second window is at Hulu, I think. So. Okay. Um, right, so, uh, I mean, first question. Uh, we're, we're main way through the, uh, the festival or the conference uh, this week. What's been your big takeaway or something interesting that you guys have, uh, have learned this week? Uh, Kate, as you're new, I'll, uh, I'll turn to you first. Great, I get to go first. I mean, this has been an interesting real screen. We've just opened a films division, which is new for us in the feature-length dots um, by the hiring of Corey Russell, who's moved over to us. And I think the biggest thing for me is realizing how many of the buyers that we normally deal with are actually interested, have film division. I just simply didn't know that, so I think there's more... We were excited about it, but I feel like it's even a bigger opportunity maybe than we anticipated, so that's exciting. Yeah. Realizing that the networks are seeing beyond television, not just digital, but also to theatrical, so I think there's something interesting in that space. Yeah. I think five, six years ago when I used to sit down with buyers, the one thing they could always tell you they didn't want was a feature doc or a film. Can't schedule it, can't market it. That's completely reversed now. Yeah, it's completely reversed, and I think they're also looking to, you know, the festival, Sundance, Tribeca, they're starting to see that those are big publicity. That's where the attention's coming. That's where the influencers go, for lack of a better word. So it's been nice to see that shift as opposed to only sort of I want a bunch of webisodes but I want them for free or whatever those bits and pieces are so I think the networks are starting to expand their horizons a little bit which is exciting interesting is that because you think like audiences are wanting really deep dives on subjects is that why you think that's happening I think it's I think they're wanting deep dives but I think there was a while there at least from my personal perspective that the buyers thought that their audience was had sort of these fractured attentions but when you start looking at what even kids are looking at YouTube they're looking at long form they want to know the whole entire story you know the the viewers looking for the truth so I think they're more open to a longer format almost than ever before in my experience I think it's also I mean I think there seems to be some acceptance I think at this conference uh, or at least that's the way I see it is it seems like we're in the past cable was its own little niche its own little planet and everybody was okay with that. It was comfortable and it was fine and we all, it was fun, you know? Um, and now, because of the reality of streamers, because we're no longer as focused on the domestic market, it seems like the streamers have forced everyone to think globally. So I think what's been happening, or at least my experience has been, is that the cable market has accepted its place, which is 
we can still make great stuff. We're still probably the best at, you know, the buyers, still great executives. They're great at making stuff. But now it's like, okay, you know, we got to think differently. We got to start switching it up. We got to think, is this going to work internationally? We got to start thinking about co-productions for the first time. I'm sure you guys have a lot of experience with that over there. And uh, I mean, I don't know, is that how is that how your Netflix thing came about? Is it a co-production? It's or a is co-production. It, I mean, yeah. a, I would say 80 or 90% of what we do is co-production. Right. And it's what we, we've always Which done. Which is a huge weapon. Um, and what you're seeing now is you're seeing companies like yourself that's able to tap into, tap it, you know, use that leverage, and I'm, I'm assuming, and I think that's really smart. Is that your takeaway, or am I, am I skipping on, or did you have another? <laughs> that's my takeaway. I can keep going, but what I will say is that at Ample, we're trying to lean a lot more into that, and I think, you know, I used to work, I worked at Sundance in 2005, and then I worked at AMC, and I worked at these networks, and it was like very much programming out of instinct and what I, frankly, what I liked. And when we started as sellers, that's kind of how we came into it. It was like, what, what do we like and what do we believe in and what are we passionate about? What do we want to make? And then I sort of would remember being like, shit, I got to kind of also make some other stuff. Because like you said about volume, it's not that I don't like it, but I'm like, I have to find a way to fall in love with this genre fast. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to sell enough stuff to keep our doors open. And now I find it's swinging back, the pendulum is swinging back the other way where I'm like waking up the morning essentially saying, yeah, let's make a documentary. So, so it's kind of awesome in that sense. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, let's, uh, Patrick Wynand, what's your big takeaway from the week? Uh, you know, as a small company, we've been meeting with a number of the global distributors like Blue Ant and Cineflix and everything. And what I was really impressed with is their willingness to look at smaller companies. Uh, we, we make programs that have been sold overseas and, you know, Andrew Zimmern's shows have run in 150 countries. So being able to partner with very large distributors with our ideas, they, they've really taken to our ideas, and I think that's really, that's been great. Encouraging? Yeah. Patrick Radin. I, I think what I'm seeing is that networks that were typically very <clears throat> narrow in their focus and their content are willing to, and I think out of necessity, expanding the kinds of content they're going to do. I mean, case in point, we just met with HGTV, who had one of the most consistent brands out there. And they're taking risks. They're doing things that they, they would never do before. And I think part of it is because there's obviously so many options. There's the streamers. There's, you know, Quibi and those things coming out. There's TikTok and other kinds of content that you, nobody's just turning on the TV and leaving it on for hours at a time anymore. And everything has to be appointment viewing now. So <clears throat> we're seeing these brands that have had a really specific identity for years and years and years. And they're not throwing it out the, the window, but they are... I think a lot more open to shows that would, you know, three, four years ago they never would have considered. Yeah, I heard HGTV talking about uh, celebrity-fronted projects earlier in the week, which that used to be the opposite of what they wanted. They wanted to build talent from right. the ground up, not have a proven face on it, but they're, uh, they're looking to that. I was impressed with Discovery Networks all the way across. They're really, even at Food Network, they're moving in directions. They're not just waiting around to see what happens. Right. They're really driving in a really smart way and I think I've noticed that at Food, I noticed that at HGTV, yep. all those channels are doing really, they're, they're looking for some really interesting concepts out there and really trying to sort of stretch beyond what they've done in the past. Yeah, especially when you have, if, like, let's take Netflix as an example, although you, we now have several Netflixes out there now, right? But there have to be everything to everyone. So there are a million cable networks rolled up into one. So these cable networks, they're like, they really have to double down on their brands and really show how expansive it can be because they're, how do you compete with that, right? And so it's pretty cool. I think it, I think the buyers seem to be energized about that. Yeah. That's what I mean about acceptance. Last year, it sort of felt like 
ah, you know, and now it sort of feels like, okay, you know, like let's own, let's own what we do, you know, let's do it, let's do it better. Yes, the Kathleen, uh, the Kathleen Finch effect. She's gone from handing Discovery their ass to rebuilding it under that, you know, stay in your lane, stick to your brands uh, technique. And they brought Jane Lamman over to HG, which is like you know the greatest move ever. So they have some good Matt Butler on travel. I mean, they have great, great executives. Yeah, and they've got executives that see beyond their brand that are looking to entertain, and that all actually, what if you look at that sort of group, they also know each other. So they're trying to figure out, okay, that's working for you. So they're actually using their you know, institutional memory, ultimately, to try and figure out how do we as a group be bigger than we are as individuals. And I think that's an important, and Discovery's the one that I think we all really notice is a bit ahead of the game. And as a result, it's probably fun as an exec to do something other than what you've always done. Just need that big genre-defining hit on the Discovery Channel. They haven't, uh, haven't had that for a while. Let's talk about short form. Hearing all sorts about AVOD, short form, Quibi's coming down the line... It's going to change the game. Next big thing, usual thing. <laughs> Won't tell you what Ari's doing. Where are where are we on uh, where are we on this, Patrick Reardon? Do you want to go first? I have an opinion on this. <clears throat> I um I like a lot of the uh, concepts that I'm hearing coming out of uh, my meetings with Quibi. There's some really interesting stuff. They're taking some risks. The shows sound incredibly entertaining. I just don't understand who's paying a monthly subscription to watch short form when you have things like TikTok and YouTube and uh, Snapchat and Instagram, especially the younger audience. So when I, before, yeah, I was at Rock Nation prior to this and when we would look at signing a new artist, I would always get brought in from the perspective of media and TikTok was a huge component. If this artist wasn't on TikTok, because from 11 to 20, that's 80% of what these people are doing on their phone. They're on, they're on TikTok, they're on Instagram, and that's free. So that audience in particular, I, I have a hard time believing that they're going to pay extra for celebrity content, which they're basically getting directly from the celebrity with Instagram and TikTok and these other outlets. I hope it works because I think the, what's exciting about it is the chances they're taking on the creative. They're, they're doing things that... You know, it's, you have these ideas sometimes. They're like, "Oh, this would be so much fun," but no one would ever buy it. They're buying it, and so it's great. I think that's the best mindset of, of how you would explain their mandate. Yeah, it's like, but, well, that's a show I always wanted to make, right? But no one's going to buy this. So I, I hope it works only because then some of these other networks are, would would open themselves up and say, "Well, maybe we'll take a chance on this crazy idea that's maybe not super ad friendly, or we don't know how it's going to how people are going to react." So I, I hope that's the effect. I don't think it's going to siphon viewers. I don't think it's going to. I don't think that's going to have a meaningful effect the way Netflix and HBO Max and some of these others are. But but I do hope it has a positive effect on opening networks up to bigger, bolder, creative ideas. They're certainly paying some serious wedge for for content from what we hear. Kate, you just said that's all your kids watch short form. Are they going to pay a subscription for it? Not if I can help it because it comes on my visa every month and suddenly I've bought jewels in some video game I've never heard of. Um, I don't know that, I mean, there's just so much available. I don't know, they're cutting through, but we're in the industry. Are they actually going to cut through for a general audience? I mean, I think what they're doing is interesting. The talent that they're talking to is interesting. Um, I I would love it to work, um, but I don't know if the audience as a whole is going to sort of come at whatever it is, $5.99 a month. I just don't, I honestly don't know the answer. I, you know, I'm probably older than their demo, so maybe there is a viewing aspect for that, but, and for us as Canadian, I mean, 
they're available in Canada, but it's it's a very different business yeah. model. The short form is a very bi different awesome. business model. So I can't quite figure out, you know, we're in that medium to big size company. How do we make a living making yeah. three and a half minute shows? Or I just don't know how that well, works. There's also, let's not forget Facebook, you know, uh, so I do this show called Nine Months. We're in season two right now. We're in production with Courtney Cox. Um, and Toby Faulkner is over there. And I don't know if you guys know Toby, he's but smart. he's a really smart guy. And our shows are 15. They greenlit it as a full half. But then they said it was 10 half hours. Then they said, you know what? Let's just make it 20 and cut them in half. Um, and it made a lot of sense because, again, we know the viewing habits of people now in general. And they have shit tons of research to back it up. And they know how long people are engaged for because it's all about engagement, right? So, so second season was twenty minutes. No, so they're all so so all each episode's fifty about fifteen minutes long. And by the way, if one episode needs to be twelve, then the episode's twelve. So you know, from a short form standpoint, we're not we don't often think about Facebook because like you know it's not like it's not branded content, it's none of that. It's original content. That's a really interesting place to look at because. Um, it, let's just put it this way: it's fucking working, yeah. and and it's free for the and, and it's free for the viewer. It. And I think that's the key. It's they're they're on Facebook anyway. Right. They're not paying it. They're not paying extra, and the content is there. By the way, we're looking at several you know, several million people are watching these episodes all the way through. Each and how episode, many right after another. Oh yeah, and they're and they're binging. And now, you, and by the way, you can just type in the show on Facebook and watch it for free. So how they monetize this not my really my problem, and that's an interesting question. But um, for YouTube, we have a show called Could You Survive the Movies. And that's another one that um, they're 15-minute episodes also, but they're not skimping. You know, they're giving it's full production value. Um, it's a really it's a really healthy budget. You know, uh, free it's free to view though. It's, so what they do is they put it in front of the, they have that paywall, but then after like a week they put it in front of the paywall so anybody can watch it. We're averaging I'd say about 25 million. Views. Wow. Averaging Fantastic. 25 million views, that's and that's wow. and that's because it's through the yeah, I mean, that's right. just and that's through the 1967 that happened. Yeah, that's through the educational division. Um, you should all make shows there. They're great, really good to work with. So will people? I'm I'm sensing it's good to have a new buyer. They're paying decent money, but we're not convinced yet by as the, as convinced as they are by the business the business model. I'm perhaps totally I'm totally convinced by YouTube. Um, YouTube. They're not YouTube. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, I haven't had much success at Quibi personally. Um, I agree with Patrick that the notion of people paying a household paying another subscription for short form content seems a little ambitious. But maybe they have a bigger plan to wrap it up into something else, which I wouldn't be surprised. Right? But it's almost as much yeah. as Disney Plus. I mean, when you think about it, okay, I'm going to pay you know X amount of dollars yeah. for Disney Plus That's to right. watch Star Wars right. or Quibi. I just and Disney Plus is like. I mean, that platform looks so good. Yeah, Disney right? Plus is they're, they're unstoppable. If you talk about all these, you know, Turner and HBO Max and Peacock, the one that is a guaranteed home run slam dunk is Disney because, because yeah, you get, if you have kids, you're buying it. Right, one movie a month on pay-per-view is the same price. So you've got, you've got it for kids. And for, for what, $3 more, you get uh, ESPN and Hulu. I mean, that's, it's brilliant. Absolutely. So I saw an exec at uh, Nappy in Miami say there's, uh, what, by the end of this year there's going to be six or seven really big streamers coming, coming down the pipe. He said in five years' time there won't be. They're all doing the same thing for the same price point. That smells like either some of them go to the wall or they join together. We've said that Disney Plus is an absolute home run. Yeah. How do we see five years from now? Do we see seven streamers more or fewer? No, 
Fewer. I mean, it's just going to be exactly like cable. I mean, I, I, I think the States is probably the same way. We had it all bundled together where you spent, X, you know, $120 on cable and you got all the bits and pieces you want. Then everybody cut the cord and now all of a sudden everybody's realizing, oh, there's content and we need to monetize it. So you're basically it's death by $10. Okay, well, I need that and then I need that. And all of a sudden you're still at $120 and you don't have the news. So it's just, it's going to end up the same. Yeah. I think people will come in for one show yeah. and then they'll pull back out and stop their subscription when that show's done and then they'll come back to it. And I think that they're already going to set up those. Models. I've already started doing that with Netflix. Yeah. Um, they'll come in for the two months and get out. Yeah. The ones that aren't doing other things is the stuff I don't understand. Like, you know, Apple makes sense. Apple's doing a million other things. Disney is selling merchandise. Amazon is doing all that. They're all going to make a bunch of money. The television side of it, or the streaming, you know, which is ultimately television, is just another avenue of advertising. Are we, are we, are we all agreed fewer? <laughs> you all seem to say fewer. Does, does anybody want to rail against that? Ari? Or ad-supported. I think NBC is going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine um, that there's going to be too many more popping up. Um, but we don't know. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Or everything goes online and it's a free-for-all. I yeah. mean, at some point, right? No, but it all comes I mean, down to library. I think you yeah. said it earlier. I mean, I, I think that's pretty obvious that it's all about library, you know? Which is why all those cable channels finally stopped giving Netflix all their shows, you know? I think it's just, it, there's it, there's so much out there. We, You know, it's this is not anything new, but there's so many shows out there. There, there is really no must-see anymore. If you don't watch the, the one thing that's on Peacock, who cares? You're going to watch the thing that's on Star Wars. It's, there, there's just too much to keep up with all the, the big shows. So the streamers that, you know, when Netflix uh, greenlit House of Cards, everyone had to watch right. that. Everyone had to watch Orange is the New Black. There is no version of that anymore. The market is going to have an awakening because it's going to all shrink down. And, and also... Go make them internationally. Like, the domestic costs are too high, and we're going to all be standing here, like, waiting for it because all those streamers, I mean, they started obviously realizing it, but they're going to make low-cost nonfiction. I mean, it just has to happen. They don't have enough volume. I think the exact same thing is going to happen. When HBO first started, they changed the game. They changed the game and scripted right across the board. And that was... But now there's a million HBO style. I mean, I don't turn to HBO for the greatest show all the time anymore, whereas it used to be the only place to go for it. Netflix is the same. They were the only place to go. Now they're one of millions. The question is who buys Netflix? Having fun. Yeah, it's absolutely right for it. We, we've gone off on all kinds of interesting tangents, which uh, I love it when it happens like that, but I, I can't let you four go without just delving into the true crime genre a little bit. Some of you... Uh, are very experienced in that and uh, some of you have, uh, have just got first commissions in that genre so many channels focused on it so many production companies competing for those hours how do you cut through in true crime in 2020 how do you stand out in that massively crowded genre who wants to have a stab at that Patrick Reardon they're all pointing at you man. Yes. well the funny thing is um, until about four months ago when I took this job I had never produced a single hour of true crime in my life no so way. I'm not the expert here but I'm getting a crash course. Um, but I think what I think what's interesting is that you know people used to think of true crime as like cheap, low quality daytime television that was just always there. And I think what we've been able to do, and what ID has done really really well, and and Oxygen is 
retrain the viewers to see that these are really often very complex, exciting stories, and the quality can and, and should be very high. So what we try to do is <clears throat> look at every single, we, we reject so many stories that certainly could be on air because we're looking for how do we keep those people engaged? How do we do another 500 episodes of Snapped? And I think the way to do it is, just like anything else in our business, it's all about excellent stories, great access, and um, as long as we all continue to strive for that, we're pushing the bar higher and higher. If you look at what is on Oxygen now versus when they launched, even if you look at the history of Snapped, you see episodes from five seasons ago to now, it's a completely different show because the, the genre keeps getting pushed to a higher quality level. And then the Netflixes and the HBOs that are doing the really, you know, the limited premium, they're, they're bringing an entire new audience that didn't even realize they liked true crime to this staple. And so, again, let's keep them here. Let's show them that they don't have to go and watch the jinx and only get six episodes we'll give you 600 episodes of something that just is compelling the thing with true crime is i think everybody keeps talking about true crime as a genre which makes sense and all the networks want to get into it but it's ultimately mysteries it's thrillers it's mysteries it's the exact same reason horror movies did really well it's the exact same reason cop shows did well on television you want to bring the audience a little on the edge of their seat get to know these characters and quite honestly watch a factual show that you'd give a shit about the life and death situation that you're watching and I think you know you can do it a million different ways but these are real people going through things that used to only be in movies but you know some of the biggest movies in the world are action movies thrillers so it's the same sort of visceral feeling and as a result true crime will always be successful and ID was just smart to double down on it so early in the game and they get how to tell a story and they allow us to tell a story better and better what's the new way to do it you don't need to reinvent it you just ultimately have to tell the truth because you know real life is definitely better than fiction in true crime Patrick you got a reels series away how are you how are you cutting through and sort of doing things differently if you, if you are we're looking for cases that we can blow out it's like a four part you know single case that we make like a movie in that sense and that's how to Survive a Murder was sort of that thing. It was a filmmaker who was a award-winning editor on Frontline whose mother-in-law was murdered. He picked up a camera the next day and for two and a half years went down this rabbit hole of trying to understand the killer and, and the crimes that he had gotten away with. So it's like those kinds of deep dives on a case that real psychological. I mean, you really got to know over the, this this man and his journey, and I, I find that interesting. I started True Crime with O.J. Simpson. I was at Dateline NBC uh, when O.J. Simpson had covered that trial. And the whole evolution, I think the audience is so literate and understanding that this is a, a genre that will just continue to keep evolving because it is the core of human behavior. How's it evolved for you? You've got, you've got ID series? So we have two kinds of... Uh, I, would, I would say two kinds of crime series, right? So we, we re rebooted Cold Case Files... This is really interesting, actually, because we rebooted Cold Case Files for A&E, and it's doing bonkers on Netflix now, which is just interesting, because A&E, it did, it did all right, yeah. you know, but... You rebooted it on Netflix? On A&E, and then now, now it's on the streamer, and it's doing really well. So these shows have a second life, which is really cool um, and good for us, but the uh, our core crime business is definitely a lot of ID business, but what's cool about ID, A, they're the best network in the world to work with, super clear and then uh, secondly it's it's completely like they want to take ch chances now I think that's really changed that's what we were talking about with cable before 
they're looking to take risks. So what's nice is, yeah, what's nice is we're able now to, I mean, we do volume with them, but with each show, we're like, okay, how do we defy expectations, not just follow suit, you know? And then we're doing similar to what you said, which is these big blue chip um, multi-part crime series, like I'm sure we're all doing. That's more arcing and a little more immersive, right? Um, and man, everybody wants that. And for yeah. small companies like who are trying just getting into it, I think that's the entry point yeah. for people like us because we can't compete with the big guys like you guys yeah. on the oh, volume. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's one so of the, it's a great way to enter in. Yeah. It's we'll one of the few we're coming for you. Yeah, you're doing right. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a trend. Again, five years ago, they said we want it closed in an hour. We want a resolution at the end. Now, everybody wants four or five hours mystery, miscarriage of justice stuff. Which is really hard to do. That's so. because yeah. Jinx was lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, all Jinx became lightning in a bottle. But it's interesting, the big one, you know, making of a murder, Jinx, those ones that really changed the game, compared to the kind of true crime that we right. do with ID, yeah. we're all about the bad guy. I mean, yes. who, I know nothing about any of those victims. I barely even remember their names. And it was a very different, it was the look into the psychology of yeah. these crazy people doing crazy things. And that, I think, is a very, right. those are two sides of the same coin. Because the, the filmmaker grew a sympathy for the killer and came through yeah. and, like, understood, like, how this guy, it's very, it's very complex. Yeah, I was working on The Staircase in 2005. None of like this is exactly just come exactly full circle. So it's just funny because yeah. you go to a meeting in Netflix and they're literally talking about the staircase. I'm like, oh, I worked on that show, and you know, it's like, so now we're back. Yeah. Like we're back to where we began, which is right. It's a multi-dimensional yeah. character who the whole time you're basically guessing. Yeah. Did he do it? Did he do it? What happened? Right? Like let's get to the let's get some depth out of these series, yeah. which is cool that they're all doing that now because that's. Yeah. I think that's why we all get into this nonsense in the first place. Yeah. Miscarriages are just a slightly harder to find than just everyday murders, though, because and surely production companies are all after that, all after that one. Yeah, we're all better than the rest of them. <laughs> and part of that too is this whole new belief system where you know whether they're convicted or not convicted, the audience wants to decide for themselves if they're the bad right. guy. So you know you watch all sorts of you know you watch the news, and part of it is you know what is the truth. True crime is going down that same creativity, that um, imagination that the audience wants to actually get to decide for themselves. I want to finish on this because there's a free bar upstairs that we're missing out on. Uh, Netflix's uh, recent one, Don't Fuck With Cats. For those that haven't seen it, finishes um, it finishes with the main protagonist coming through the fourth wall to speak to the audience saying, are you and we feeding narcissists to commit worse and worse crime people the Instagram generation shiny Netflix series that's all the guy in that show wanted he wanted to be famous for his crimes is this true crime genre at risk of driving true crime yeah. no it's interesting we um, Raw did an incredible job on that show we did a little bit of the drama for them um, and it's interesting that one specifically because we watched it with um, our oldest teenager and it actually sparked a conversation about why not to do these things and to, that sort of social responsibility of you know, being famous on Instagram, even with your friends, is not what you need to be sort of concentrating on. So I'm hoping that that's the case, but I love that they asked the question and, and, and actually said it out loud. Are you like a homicidal NTV? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily uh, disagree with your opinion on whether it's good or bad but I hated that they asked it I thought it was the worst gimmick I thought it was such you know wink wink nudge nudge and I I, I, I thought that 
film was really well done and it was incredibly compelling. And then I just thought at the end it was like, fuck you. And I, I just wasn't, that to me was more egregious than the thought that we might be uh, inspiring people. sophisticated necessarily, like just, it feels like a gimmick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it starts a conversation, though. That's all true. And also, like, let's be clear. Like, I don't, I don't think it feeds into what you just said. Um, I think it's more the idea that you know, look, it's not a new idea. You know what I mean? Like, there, there there's been like the idea that people are committing murders and the idea that they're wanted to be famous. BTK wanted to be famous. They all want to be famous. I, I, I had a family member who was murdered years, uh, twelve years ago. And I think that, and I, you know, I covered crime for many years before that, and I didn't want to go near it. I think these shows have actually helped police officers do a better job, especially outside big urban areas where, in rural areas, I think police have do better work because they're, they know somebody might report on their case, and that's their, the end of their career. And I think that's a really yeah. positive impact. I think there's a real-world impact on true crime, and there's a literacy that people know if you know that your crime might end up on Dateline or might end up on one of your shows or one of your shows those cops they're going to do a better job yeah, they're well, going to dot their I's and cross their T's and I I think that's great yeah I definitely have convinced myself of that I mean I, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, mean, I, I haven't had a personal connection I mean but I get yeah. you know look we get a lot of letters and all the letters are thank you thank you thank you thank you thank yeah. you nobody's nobody's suing us nobody's nobody's mad at the end and it's because like you know Yes, there's a version of everything that's exploitative. And as producers, and especially as we get more experience in the crime space, as we all get more experience in the crime space, you know, there's a responsibility there. So if if you don't know how to... I think, look, there's a learning curve with true crime, and people who try to jump into it for the first time, you learn fast, because there's stakes. Oh, yeah. I also just... I think that, you know, 90% or more of what we do in this genre, it's like a family member killing another family member in a fit of rage or some jealousy. These are not people seeking out attention. There are people in that category, but there's always been. There's always been. Yeah, those are those are generally not the stories we tell. So, I mean, I think that it's... I think that people are uh, fascinated by this, but unless we're going to get rid of the news, then I don't think there's much of a conversation to as to whether or not we're feeding into that. Well, I didn't expect you guys to agree, and you didn't. So that's, uh, that's the perfect place to end. Guys, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sparing time in a busy week. Um, that's, uh, that's it for Tuesday. Are we still on Tuesday? Oh that's it for Tuesday at Real Screen. We will be back tomorrow with our final podcast. Uh, another four producers from North America to chew the fat over the big issues of this week. In the meantime, you can keep up with all the developments from Real Screen and elsewhere in the television business by logging on to C21 online, on Twitter, and on Facebook. <laughs>